In what is surely one of the biggest cinematic events of all time, let alone the year, Avengers Infinity War hit screens around the globe last week, breaking records galore and garnering widespread critical acclaim to boot. So it is with great excitement that we welcome the directors, Anthony and Joe Russo, to Soundtracking, the Screen Music Podcast with me, Edith Bowman. Boasting a stellar ensemble cast, Infinity War sees numerous characters from the Marvel Universe join forces to prevent Thanos from destroying, well, everything. Don't worry though, there are no further spoilers here, not least because I was only allowed to see 20 minutes of the film at the time of recording this interview. What we do have for you is Anthony and Joe talking about Alan Silvestri's score, their love of needle drops, Henry Jackman's work on Captain America, the genius that is Mark Mothersbaugh, David Schwartz's screwball approach to the music in Arrested Development and Reflections Upon Community, which saw the brothers collaborate with Ludwig Göransson. Much then to get through, starting with the Avengers theme. Anthony and Joe, welcome to Soundtracking. It's a real honour and pleasure to have you guys with us. Thank you, our pleasure to be here. Let's start with Infinity War. What I think is wonderful about the Marvel films is almost each Marvel film or section of Marvel films has its own sound. You guys have got the job of bringing all those together. Where did you start with music with Infinity War? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, classic commercial cinema uh, is often associated with a piece of score. It was important uh, that Alan Silvestri do Avengers 3 and 4 because the one theme that we have that really resonates at Marvel is that Avengers theme. So we really started there. We started building around Alan Silvestri. bringing in characters from all these different universes, so there is some cross-pollination in terms of music. Uh, obviously, the Guardians tend to have a soundtrack, and um, you know, there's a really uh, a resonant score, I think, uh, for Black Panther. So, uh, so that we, we're starting to collect identity, mm. uh, and it's our job, I think, to seamlessly weave that throughout. Part of the uh, sort of the upside of this movie is that you know the cast is so large, and the characters are coming from such a wide variety of films. So we basically started with, uh, you know, you know, we had that same challenge with the music that yeah. we had with the movie in general, which was how do you represent all these different characters, all these different uh, voices and all these different tones as they come together in this film. And we talked it through with Alan quite a bit 
and he's a really brilliant guy. I mean, the best composers are also great storytellers, and yeah. it's such a joy to collaborate with somebody like Alan because you just talk story with them, and he figures out you know how to translate that musically. And uh, for a while, we explored this idea of like really sort of giving each character his or her own themes and stuff like that. And then we began to realize that because the movie was so complex, mm. the music could serve as more of a unifying force in the film and sort of help simplify the story for people on an emotional level, on a textural level. So, and that's really sort of the road we ended up going down with Alan on it. obviously writing that original theme Avengers theme and it's like six notes or something but as soon as you kind of hear it it's like it's like that Spider-Man scene that we've seen in the trailer where he's on the bus yeah. and the hairs on your arms yeah. yep. you know do you yeah, guys do you get that do you get that emotion when you hear those scores uh, absolutely and it's really I think it's the way that you understand the emotional response the audience will have is because you're having that same emotional response uh, again you know we say this all the time but we're fans and I think that's a that's where a metric comes comes from it's where our instincts lie and well what is going to excite me if I'm sitting in the theater what is it that I want to hear what is it that I want to see and you know that's a lot of we, we apply that same instinct to the music as well it was very important to us to get that original Avengers theme back in the movie and it's in a couple of critical moments and um, it's very rousing
last night when, when, I, when I got to see the footage, which I got to watch twice, which is amazing. Is it the Detroit Spinners, the track that, that we hear in the scene where the Guardians discover Thor? Robert Van Lyn. Yeah. What a tune. Yeah. When it comes to things like that, needle drop type things, is that fun? Is that a fun element to to when you have to find things like that or pieces of music? Do you work together on that? You've got music supervisor, I guess, as well, who might throw things your way. Yeah, I mean, we're, we, we, you know, we grew up in Cleveland. <laughs> Cleveland's a big music city, yeah. you know, so we, we, we love music, you know. So needle drops are a particular favorite of ours. And yes, we do, but we do work with a lot of very talented music supervisors who help supply ideas and Sometimes what we'll do is we'll play songs on set. Very often we do while we're shooting Great. to help give ourselves and, and our crew and our camera operators and the actors a sense of the rhythm and the tone for a scene. And sometimes we'll go through a big uh, experimenting process in post, you know, about what song works right. Just because you use a song on set yeah. to set a tone doesn't mean you have to stick with that song in the edit. So it's, sometimes it evolves and sometimes it stays the same as our original uh, ideas. Sounds like a party vibe on set. Uh, it is. You want to create energy, and I think tone, especially in a movie that's totally complicated, is easily identified through music, which is why we play it on set. Sometimes we'll loop a song all day long, because that's the tone we're trying to drive out of that scene, and the scene takes us all day to shoot. And it works for the actors. It's great, because they, they kind of can settle into a space every time they hear it, and they understand what it is that we're trying to do. That song in particular is a little bit of choreography to it, so it was important that the actors uh, all had earwigs and were wired into the music and, and knew exactly what was going on with it, referring to Rubber Band Man. Hand me down the walking cane, hand me down my hat. Hurry now and don't be late, cause we ain't got time to chat. You and me, we're going out to catch the latest sound. Guaranteed to blow your mind so high you It's an exploratory process, too, because sometimes the tone you set on set is not the tone you want when you get in the edit room, as Anne said, and then you go hunting a little bit. But we have a vast music library. We use a lot of music on shows like Arrested Development, Community. It's important to us. We grew up uh, a music family and grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, so rock is in our blood. And, uh, you know, I think Cleveland is the only city in the world that, pro that has 11 classic rock stations. <laughs> you just go from one to the next on the dial. There's nothing else. Yeah. That's amazing. What kind of stuff did you play on set then? What were the kind of, what were the artists or the tunes or, that you, you were playing on set? 
you know, it's such a wide variety of stuff. You know, sometimes the Stairway to Heaven was on a loop for like three days. Yeah, because there was. You a, never want to hear it ever again. <laughs> we won't tell you what scene we used it for, but it was on a loop for three days. sometimes we play a lot of like Ray Barreto or you know just sort of energy yeah. stuff that like you know if we want sort of like a sense of movement you know we'll find stuff that has like a Pacing. drive to it yeah. and again it just gives a flavor to to especially to the camera operators you know like what the flow is you know what the what the, what the vibe is so you know yeah it's a wide variety of stuff yeah there's a nice piece of score I think from the Daredevil show called Battle and Jack Murdoch that that I think we used for one sequence as well. Yeah. Yeah, just as a backdrop. Did Alan come into the process in terms of 
thinking about score and thinking about music and, and how it was going to work with the film? How, how early on in the process did he come on board? Very beginning, yeah. yeah. I mean, we started uh, conversations with Alan, like, well before we even had a script. You know, we were talking about him, about the, the story. about Because, again, he is such a big brain. He's such an amazing composer. We wanted it to be able to uh, marinate in his brain for as long as possible, you know. So yeah, exactly. He, so. he composed a Thanos suite. Typically, what composers will do very early on, and we ask for this quite a bit, because we do use music on set, as we said. We ask them to compose a suite of eight minutes of music that has varying range to it. Has dramatic moments, has traveling moments, it has intensity, uh, um, it has fighting. You know, so it, the, the, over every two minutes, there's a shift in the music. Then we can source out what it is that works for the character so it was very important obviously the movie's Thanos's point of view that we have a suite for him and uh, that was critical in editorial uh, as we we're going through the process so he did this suite before he even started editing the movie and Brolin was able to listen to it and understand the gravitas with which the character was going to be presented and that's a uh, it's a really helpful part of the process. Also play selections of that for the other actors, like the first time they would encounter Thanos. You know, again, just to give them the sense of the tone of the character. You know, it's an amazing way, isn't it, to talk to your actors about the script and the story without having to use words. It's incredible. It's incredible, and especially in a situation where Josh Brolin's character is a digital creation, largely. It's all very specifically based on his facial performance, his body performance. But when he's acting with the other actors, he doesn't look like Thanos. So having having that dimension, that musical dimension, just to help create the, the, the tone of the character is very important on set. last night talking about how much Josh got into Thanos and how much he enjoyed and relished playing that part 
Yeah, yeah, by the way, it could have been the opposite reaction, e easily, because you're... You could have been horrified. You're standing around yeah. set in, in a skin-tight suit that does look like a pair of pajamas with a bunch of little balls attached to it as tracking balls. You have uh, your head wrapped in, like, a, it, it looks like, you, you know, you've broken your neck in, in 12 different places, and you know, it's you been isolated. a metal pole up your yeah. back with a tennis ball on you're it. You're ruining the illusion for us here, guys. You're completely ruining And no, nobody's looking you in the eye because they're looking at your tennis ball, and, you're, and they're, you're looking at their belly button. So it's a very weird way to act unless there's an opportunity where we can put him up on a platform where he can actually make eye contact with the actors, but that's not always the case. So you could have absolutely the opposite reaction. He embraced this. You know, it was like an experimental theater project, and, uh, and he had an absolute blast playing the character. You know, we're using such cutting-edge technology that every nuance in his performance translates to the face of Thanos. It's pretty spectacular. And emotional realism is really important to us, and I think um, it's anathema to us to go sit on a set and talk ad nauseum to actors, especially in between takes. We try to communicate as succinctly as possible because we're trying to get them to stay instinctual. We don't want them going into their heads and thinking their way through a scene. It's typically when a scene falls apart. So a lot of our direction, we don't cut the camera. You know, we're just, we're at the monitor a few feet away from them. We're just, you know, yell out very succinct directions. I'm like, okay, great, that was fantastic. Now go faster this time. And we want you to get a little angry at the end of the take. You ready? Go, action. And then they have no time to think. And, you know, we'll run six or seven takes in a row. So music has that same uh, uh, ability to communicate succinctly to an actor what it is you want them to feel mm. uh, with, without them getting in their heads. And I think that's why we, we look for techniques that uh, allow us to keep everything uh, emotionally grounded and, uh, and away from you know, getting intellectualized. Was it the same process with Henry Jackman with the, with the Captain America films Absolutely. in terms of you know, providing this kind of soundscape to play and for the actors to hear and stuff as well and being involved so early on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I would, I would say that you know the same thing I said about Alan earlier. I would say about Henry. He's brilliant, brilliant with music, but he's also really understands story. So it began. It makes it so easy to collaborate with him because all you're talking about is story and character, and and they're translating that. It's so. Henry's the kind of guy that just brings us story ideas too. I, I love that about our relationship with him. He he, we had a a, a fantastic relationship with him through those films. Yeah, and he, uh, I mean, that, you know, Winter Soldier is a very different score than Infinity War. Infinity War is a classic, big, you know, full orchestra score. Um, Winter Soldier is uh, more of a tonal piece. Um, you know, movie's more tonal. Uh, and we're looking to set a, 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 a mood and tension throughout the movie. And uh, so we're using more rhythmic uh, um, uh, work throughout that film. More electronics. More electronics.
voice that screams that Henry then uh, futzed with that, that became the um, Winter Soldier's theme. You that know, was so. one of my favorite things that Henry did was that voice that he uses for the Winter Soldier. You know, he wanted to do things that were unsettling, psychologically unsettling to the audience. Uh, there's a few moments with theme in them, which are great, because you're restraining the whole time with tonal pad. Mm. Then when you get to the theme, it really pops. His suite, the eight-minute suite he gave to us, had a lot of variation in it, but it was mostly the Winter Soldier suite. It's interesting, most of our suites start off with the villains, yeah. but I think it's <laughs> how you get your head into the story. It's the real kind of pulse of the film, really, isn't it? It yeah. is. Well, you also, you know, again, because these stories are serialized and you've seen the characters before, the villain's the new person to the table. So I think that's also a reason why we kind of lead with them in a lot of ways. Yeah, and they set tone. build our movies we build them around the villain and what the villain wants and I think the heroes are only as good as the villain so if the villain isn't popping you don't understand the villain's agenda or the villain isn't bringing a mood and a tone to the film then who is or what is you know and uh, I guess it could be the hero's drive but a lot of times the hero's drive plays in contrast to the villain mm -hmm. like in Infinity War when the Avengers theme shows up it's in moments where it's needed it's required uh, that's what makes it work because it stands in contrast <laughs>
I listed all the composers that have worked on all the Marvel films, and it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's the most amazing collection of composers. You know, we've mentioned Ludwig, who did the Black Panther score recently with yeah. a little help from Kendrick, but Danny Elfman and Tyler Bates, and it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's such an important part of this world, though, isn't it? Very important, and to Kevin Feige's credit, uh, the head of Marvel, he, he loves movie scores, so yeah, he's very uh, supportive in terms of being as ambitious as possible on that level. What about for you guys growing up and kind of starting to be film fans and those films that the music kind of became evident to you and the importance of it? Are there ones that stand out for you? Yeah, I think a you know, big one for both of us was Morricone, as it was for a lot of people. We were big fans of Leone movies. We, you know, we were big art house guys. There's a great uh, Cinematheque in Cleveland that has a great art house programming. And uh, we grew up not far from it, so we sort of lived at that place. and. We devoured as much uh, foreign and art film as we could. Um, and yeah, so the Leone movies became very important to us. And not only did we first become aware of score with, with that, but also just studying it. I mean, that's really where we sort of developed our understanding, I think, of how movie score works and what it can do in a film. As I say, there's only one sequence in movies that makes me cry, and it's the end of Once Upon a Time in the West, and it's Morricone's score. And it literally just like the way everything builds to the end. It's an opera. It's an opera about industrialization and the dying of the West. And these two uh, opposing forces who are both the same breed that's going to die off. And then they're going to go have like the last gunfight on the end of the, at the edge of civilization. Uh, and the score is just beautiful in that moment. It really resonates with the themes of the movie in a way that I find very profound and sad.
I would also add this though about Morricone, uh, he, you know, he did a score for a film called The Mission, yeah. and the theme yeah, for that, like <laughs> if you turned it on right now, I would start bawling. I cannot not cry when I hear that theme. Taxi driver, Herman. When you start yeah. talking about it, they kind of it's almost like a door opens in your brain yeah. and all these things kind of fall out and you go, Oh yeah, and then that mm -hmm. and then that. Okay. Because we do take it for granted, I think, yeah. a lot of the time when you're in a cinema and you're watching a film because music's like a clever magician. Yeah, without question. I mean I think it underscores emotion. We're guys who go to movies for emotional resonance, we're looking for an emotional reaction out of it. That's what we try to elicit out of the audience with our movies. And score is just integral to that. And then they can replicate that emotion without watching the movie again by just listening to the soundtrack. Uh, you know, there was many years where I would write just with the uh, with the Herman's Taxi Driver score in a loop, if, depending on what tone I was trying to elicit. Carter Burwell, uh, Miller's Crossing, that's uh, just amazing. There are certain scores that can do that, Miller's Crossing, I just listen to during the day when I'm driving around, and it just resonates, and, and um, the moments from the movie come back.
also the, the wonderful composers, we mentioned a couple already you worked with, but aside from the Marvel work, all the other composers that you've worked with, and before you came we were just talking about Mark uh, Mothersbaugh, yeah, who, yeah. who are, weirdly I kind of thought he was two people because I, I watched a lot of him with my kids on Yo Gabba Gabba as the, the artist and I going, hey I'm Mark, drawing dogs' faces and stuff, and then I was like, hold on a minute, oh my god he's the guy who did Rushmore and he's, he, I mean, amazing. Can we talk a little bit about working with, with Mark? Yeah, he's an avant-garde artist. I mean, he is, and he's a blast to work with. <laughs> he's got this really unique building on Sunset Boulevard that's like shaped like a spaceship. It's painted lime green. Painted lime green, and you know, he's a modern artist, so he, he does a lot, there's a lot of the artwork around the space. Uh, uh, he's an abstract artist, obviously, is, um, is his. In the center is where you score, where he brings in the players. And he's got a, you know, I don't know, 50 instruments lying around, uh, you know, obscure instruments that, you know, when, as you're scoring, if you start monkeying around on something and you find a rhythm on it, he throws you in the room with the players and now you're, <laughs> and now, now you're playing rhythm on, on the score. So, and, and it's for him as well to kind of fish around while they're playing because he's always looking for uh, what's different, what's unique about this. And I think it's how he finds you know, the, the, the sounds that have defined Wes's movies uh, um, are all very, uh, very specific, and it's through that process. Yeah. The Ragnarok score was great. Oh, it's fantastic. Amazing, oh, yeah. So it's an amazing collection of sort of quirk and traditional composition uh, that really set the tone for that movie. I mean, that movie's as Monty Python as anything since Monty Python, <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. with him on Welcome to Collingwood. How it was did it great. Post? Well, Mark, Mark is also from the Cleveland area, so that was, that was a very Cleveland movie, so yeah, <laughs> I think he understood the uh, deep sensibilities of it. But first of all, you know, we had been big fans, so just to be able to meet him early in our careers like that and be able to work, collaborate with somebody like that was a huge thrill for us. And yeah, and just experiencing that really unique creative process that he has. It's very organic and very sort of whimsical, and you can sort of see that and feel that in his art. And uh, I think it brought a great vibe to the movie, really wonderful sort of magical realism to the film.
a lot of Django Reinhardt influence on that soundtrack. And so he brought in some of the best Django S players in the world. And a lot of times they would just drop a track and then he'd go, do it again, but let's change it from the middle. And, you know, you could see him just evolving. He's, you know, he's an intuitive uh, composer and he likes to change things up. It's not like, I think that's why he likes to have his own building. It's, he doesn't show up at the score session and the orchestra's you know, sitting across the world somewhere on a little video monitor and they're just going to execute what he wrote. It's more of an evolving process. Bandcamp. Yeah, it's Bandcamp, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of his Devo you know, collaborators work with him there as well. And what about when you work, I mean, Arrested Development, huge fan of, of the show, and working on, on TV, is it a really different process? I mean, David Schwartz, who, who did yeah. the music for that, who also did Northern Exposure, which was just one of my favourite shows growing up, it's amazing. What's the, what is the process, and is it a different process for TV? It's a little bit different. I mean, that show in particular was a really interesting pilot because we filled it with 80s needle drops. And we just couldn't afford the music. It was not. We're like that pilot was a redheaded stepchild over at Fox. It was not a uh, not embraced fondly uh, at the time. So they weren't going to drop you know uh, checks for the music on that. So Schwartz kind of found a vibe off of the needle drops, and he turned it into the pace and rhythm that you know became the score for the show. And then you know throughout the series we we would do that you know, where we drop in needle drops looking for an energy, and then he would riff off the energy. He was amazing, though. How much can you do? You lift and push and struggle. With a foot's on the other shoe. because yes. the characters are so despicable that it's if with the score didn't the score didn't have some semblance of whimsy to it it would almost be impossible to watch I think that was the great effect that, you know in many ways of that score is it just it, it was this that the so, that show was such a mashup of, of radical ideas and tones that the fact that the score could deliver this sort of sense of normalcy to it all, <laughs> even though it's just sort of, it was in contrast to what, what you were experiencing. I think that was a, a, a sort of a wonderful element and a big help to make the show sort of cohesive and sort of exist as what it, it, was, what it was, a TV show. I mean that it's that tone. I mean tone was so. There were the target for tone on that show was the size of someone's pinky. I mean it was tiny. It was a very narrow range that we could get away with and still make the audience go on the journey with those characters. You know, music sets tone more than anything. It's probably your lead and and music that set the tone. So uh, it was uh, it was uh, it was a very narrow target. And he nailed it.
you got to definitely go crazy on the needle drops for You Mean Dupree, though. There are some awesome choices. Mandy by Barry Manilow in particular. I mean, I looked at the list of tracks and I was like, that's my playlist for today. Funky Cold Medina's in there. It's fun tunes. You obviously had a bit more cash to spend on that in terms of the needle drops and stuff. We did have more, uh, more to spend and also that was very inspired by the character of Dupree, you know. Yeah. And Owen Wilson, who played Dupree, was a producer on the film as well and helped originate and drive the project. So yeah, that's a good example of just really thinking about something from that character's point of view and sort of building out the needle drops as his world. What yeah. defines him? What makes him so eccentric? And music is, a, again, an easy way to define character. I remember all my life Raining down as cold as ice Shadows of a man A face through a window Crying in the night The night goes into morning Just another day Steve Soderbergh on the show talking about Logan Lucky and man he loves his music too he does he's a, he's a geek is yeah. how I think I described him he's fantastic with music and I mean I think you know one of our inspirations we, we tend to pick a few inspirations for each of these Marvel movies that we work on cinematically it could just be a, the juju that we're trying to steal from it or the structure maybe there's a character moment or just the way the ensemble works in it just the smallest things and um um, this movie in particular, because it's such a wide ensemble, and Thanos is on a very direct smash-and-grab mission. You know, there's a bit of out-of-sight in the movie. Uh, now, we're not needle-dropping the exact same way that he did in that film, but just, just from a, 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 an ensemble-feeling standpoint, uh, and what we were trying to accomplish with, uh, you know, the sort of quirky collection of characters uh, um, teaming up, you know, it has a little bit of that vibe to it. He's been an enormous influence on us throughout our careers, obviously. But. Yeah, I mean, we've had a very close relationship with him. We owe our whole career started in many ways because of Steven Soderbergh. You know, our very first film that we made in Cleveland, a little credit card movie, we took to the Slamdance Film Festival in 1997, and he happened to be at the festival. Uh, he, his, he had a movie called Schizopolis that was opening the festival that year, and he saw our film there, and he uh, offered to produce our next movie, and that began a, a really wonderful collaboration for us with him. You know, I was thinking we should give a shout-out to Ludwig Gordonson, who uh, obviously oh, yeah. just blew the world away with his Black Panther yeah. score, but we, we spent a good decade working with him, my community, and the yeah, happy endings, course, yeah. and, you know, he really, I mean, you talk about composers bringing something to life, community is probably one of the most difficult shows in TV history to work on, because we were changing genre every week, yeah. and we were asking him to, you know, with, you know, very limited resources to recreate a style, a tone, or a genre from all over the map on a few days' notice.
again because that show was also like a redheaded stepchild to the network. Our most popular TV shows were never really loved or embraced by the networks. Uh, but adored yeah. by the public. Yeah. 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 But the show wouldn't have been nearly su- as successful if he weren't so successful in scoring it and having that, that range uh, and being that facile with, uh, with his abilities. And uh, so we owed, we owed a lot to him on that show. I spoke to Ryan about Black Panther and, and, and it was amazing to hear him talk about Ludwig's kind of dedication to the source music as well for, for those characters and how much effort he went into in research and finding instruments, instrumentation, players to, to bring that authenticity to it as well, which was incredible to hear. Absolutely, and the, uh, you know, the relationship between he and Donald obviously started on that show and he's now you know, produces and plays with Childish Gambino. Uh, and uh, it started with the raps that we were doing on the show. Uh, and Ludwig would score the raps and, uh, and you know, sometimes you just come to set and riff a little bit with Donald and I think that's where the, you know, the spark started wow. and created, uh, you know, and created something that had a, uh, a really strong impact uh, culturally. Donde esta la biblioteca, me llamo T-Bone, la araña discoteca. Discoteca, muñeca, la biblioteca, es un bigote grande, pero manteca. Manteca, bigote, gigante, pequeño, cabeza es nieve, cerveza es bueno. Buenos días, me gustas papas frías, bigote de la cabra, es camarón días. Yeah, boy, boy. Yeah. What? It's 2009. Ludwig, I'm really, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm pretty sure he started as a DJ. He has that musical uh, sort of like he, he's looking, he's always looking for music. And the way you're describing uh, that he uh, he approached um, Panther, similar to how he approached all our different types of things we would ask of him on community, is just sort of like to go fishing in different sort of musical quarters of the world for ideas and, and tones and styles. Are you thinking about the music for the next Avengers film? Or we you- are. I mean, it's important to make sure that the two you know, movies stand in contrast. You don't want, I mean, it's one thing that's, you know, really a mandate of Anthony eyes is that each film that we do for Marvel has got to be distinct. So I expected a very different interpretation on the next film. And We've largely uh, completed shooting on that film. So yeah. yeah. We shot both movies back to back and then we edited this movie, Infinity War, and finished that. And the next movie is just waiting for us. What a nice position to be in. <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely, uh, once this movie is out into the world, then we'll only have one gigantic movie on our plate. So that, that's a better situation. I'm afraid we've run out of time. I could talk to you guys for hours about this. And thank you so much for your time. And thank you for this. I'm so excited to see the rest of it. 20 minutes. Keep me going until, <laughs> until for the next two weeks. Anthony and Joe, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. It was a pleasure. Much. Really
Ludwig Göransson's Black Panther theme, which also features in Avengers Infinity War, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the Russo Brothers. My huge thanks to Anthony and Joe for taking the time to talk to us. It won't have escaped your notice that Avengers Infinity War is on general release around the world right now, with Alan Silvestre's score available through Marvel Music. Now you can find a Spotify playlist for this show via edithbowman.com which is also the place to subscribe to the podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes. Marvel fans might be particularly interested in our chat with Ryan Coogler and Nate Moore about the music in Black Panther. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do rate us and leave a comment on iTunes if you get a sec. Next up, we go from Avengers to Bond uh, and a special live edition recorded with Bond regular, composer David Arnold and legendary lyricist Don Black. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm -hmm.